Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. In our last episode, we spoke with Dr. Kevin Bryan. Dr. Bryan is a professor at the University of Toronto about OpenAI's new product, ChatGPT, and the implications of artificial intelligence on things like education, communication, and the world at large. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Chef Shay Mandel. Chef Shea is the founder and president of Rooks to Cooks, a cooking education and intervention program used, among other places, at Braemar College. Welcome back to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. I'm Mike Helsby here at Braemar College in downtown Toronto. Very, very happy to be joined by what I'm going to describe as my new favorite podcast guest, uh, Chef Shai Mandel. I'm going to explain why you're my favorite in just a minute, but Shai, welcome to the program. Shay. Pardon me? Shay? I, I, I know why I'm your favorite. It's because okay. I fed you banana bread and brought you maple syrup. Yeah, you nailed it. For, yeah. for the folks who can see at home... Got it on camera. This is not um, something that was store-bought uh, at no. the last second. This was something that maybe you can explain what's going on with my delicious banana bread and my maple syrup. Yeah, well, I, I like a lot of hobbies. And I get so much like joy and fulfillment from making things, whether mm. it's like maple syrup, food, pottery, like anything that's like taking something and that is nothing and then creating something. And then if I get to share that something with people and like give them that, feed them that, have them drink out of a mug, whatever it may be. Like just uh, like that's what I live for, honestly. Uh, it I mean, is. It, it, it's no surprise that that's true. The both the enjoyment of the process and yes. the, the sort of reciprocal and community-based nature of the product. Um, we're going to find out quite a lot about you, Shay, in in this uh, this interview. But I, I mean, it's it's not hard for the audience to see why someone like you might end up being the the founder and uh, president of something like Rooks to Cooks. We're going to go all the way in. We're going to find out about Rooks to Cooks. We're going to talk uh, school nutrition and cooking programs, but I want to start kind of just with you and, and sure. figure out how this all got going. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about wh when cooking became a part of your life, uh, your, your, your history as a, as a cook. You, you've be since become an educator. When did that come into the mix? There's some baking metaphor to be used here, but yeah, I'm talk sure. to us about how the, <laughs> how the cookie got made. Yeah, how the cookie got made. Um, well, uh, way back, my, I have a terrible memory, little little snippet. Of it. I don't know what day it is today. Don't ask me that I'll, question. I'll start recording. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Memoir, Shay. Yeah. Um, okay, as far as I can remember, um, my earliest memories are probably when I was in grade three and four. I just like, I was left to my own devices a lot. Like I, I'm appreciative of so much the freedom my parents gave me. My dad was a businessman and worked all the time. My mom was always in her projects, and she's kind of where I get my creative side from. So in her creative projects, huge photographer, um, was a teacher too. So mm -hmm. she had a lot going on. And I was a 90s kid, so there was a way less helicopterish parenting back then. Oh, the good old days. You know, let us free to roam around the streets on our rollerblades, yeah. you know, like those, those times. Um, so I just remember, like, cooking for myself. Like, it just evolved. Like, honestly, I can't remember how. My mom doesn't cook. I, ha I actually don't know the last time I've seen her ever cook. Hmm. I, I don't even know. Maybe, like, I was before I have a memory. My dad, he barbecued. He cooked a little bit. So I probably picked up a little bit from him. I'd say 
they taught me how to eat, but I kind of figured it out myself on how to cook. And I just like loved going back full circle, like taking something and turning it into something else and having it be something I can eat and enjoy and like be just curious like through food. So that was how I got into it. And then that evolved from my mom saying, oh, it's for dinner today. And I'm like seven, you know, <laughs> like, uh, well, here's a zucchini. Yeah. Like, I'll just fry it up in a pan. Wow. So it really was very natural and like just authentic. And it was all about play and, and exploring that. Did, mm-hmm. did, it sounds like there was a lot of creativity. And as you say, kind of an organic process yeah. coming from two parents who were educators. I also got to kind of see that as a model for when I was a kid as well. Um, and I think there was a lot of creativity and impetus for exploration that goes with that. Was there also a, a feeling or did there come to be a feeling of responsibility over the family and, and even maybe over like the nutritional aspects of your food at that point? Or was it all just mm. fun and creativity? You know, my parents are both, uh, they, they both value health and nutrition. Mm. They always have. And so I do remember like here getting snippets of information from them growing up like oh this is healthy or you know let's take our vitamins or like let's have organic food like that's just always been ingrained in my family so yes and then once I gained the skills (laughs) I think I was just viewed as like another like help hands like to help Mm -hmm. out with the family and my mom didn't like to cook and never really cooked so it was like great and my dad was working so and I have younger sister it just kind of fit mm. and I took it on and I was proud to have that role and I just I enjoyed cooking for myself and my family. I enjoyed rollerblading home at lunch and making myself a sandwich wow. and like getting back and you know watching that sticking around while I ate my sandwich you know like that that was my childhood and it evolved like pretty quickly into just cooking organically and making good food organically like I cannot tell you why I have those abilities. It was just like, this tastes good, this doesn't taste good. This texture is nice, this texture is not good. And Mm. like kind of learning from that. And then it turned into kind of viewing it as like a craft to be, I can perfect and I can really do a great job and learning and like delving into it, like self-learning. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're so well positioned for that and then for educating young people through that process. Um, we know what the the child's brain is like and how plastic it is and how mm-hmm. many connections it can form. And it can be difficult to capture that kind of creativity and then the excitement and the sort of appreciation of craft that comes with it. Yeah. If you're coming at it from a, pe- a place of little experience, perhaps later in life. And so that's me. I, I'm, I'm coming to this uh, from from the perspective of a kid who uh, was very lucky to have a mom and dad who both kind of cooked. Neither of them were brilliant cooks, and they won't be offended by me saying that. We've had long talks with my, my two younger sisters about the, the paucity of diversity in our diets earlier in life, but the responsibility was never on me. And so I got to kind of watch day after day as plate after mm-hmm. plate was put in front of me. And I got to take on that kind of, I'm going to call it a a sort of Western attitude to food where we are somewhat um, distanced from the sources of it and the processes Mm. by which it comes to be. It arrives in front of us pre-made a lot of the time, whether that's by our parents or by some some restaurant or or fast food organization. Um, And so... As an educator, when I when I got into this position and set, started understanding nutrition a little bit, mm-hmm. I had to ask a lot of questions that I didn't really have the background to answer, and so I ended up reaching out to, to a few people like you, like yourself, and we ended up being able to to answer some of those questions together. Thank goodness. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. I want to start with a a, a kind of much bigger question just to justify why 
this should be, I think, that why cooking and nutrition should be yeah. a foundational part of, of a student's education. Today, as an experienced cook, as somebody who's, who's got more expertise in the kitchen than the vast majority of people, what are you still getting from it? What, is it, what does it bring to your life just to, to be working with food, to be mm. serving food? How do you think of that? I feel like food is like the gift that keeps on giving in so many different areas. Like I'll start obviously it being like a craft that you can perfect. Like it's like anything else, like any other hobby or any other interest that you just can continue to learn and invest in. So whether you start off young or start later in life, like wherever you start, there is no end and you can continue to push yourself and grow. And the fulfillment, like the personal fulfillment that you get from that is amazing like it mm. gives you confidence it gives you um reward that reward like i achieved something really challenging um it's interesting it's cool it's science it's everything <laughs> yeah. so like that it being an avenue in itself that you can invest in you can grow in and it never ends that's one reason why it's worth investing your energy in it's like why you read. There's a million books. I was just thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Or like anything else. It's just if you're interested in it, it's a great hobby and interest. Then you have the aspect of it being like something that you can use to nourish yourself. Like it's legitimately fuel for your bodies. You can't eat a book, you know. <laughs> well, maybe you could, but I don't know. Maybe a little salt will do for yeah. it. But, you know, lots it, of fiber. <laughs> yeah, lots of fiber, that's for sure. Um, but it's new. it's nutrients. Mm -hmm. It's like legitimately healing your body helping your body well depends on what you eat right but it can be um, very good for you it can actually slow aging hmm. it can progress aging it can um, help you see better it can grow your hair thicker and more luscious like it's legitimately like a healing um, food like food is healing who can be healing so to use that for that reason also I, for me that nutrition health nutrition is a value of mine so that is part of what I use food for then it's a conversation it's a connector it's uh, it's an uh, opportunity to spread joy and love and show people you care like for me it's like the first step to developing a relationship like if I can mm -hmm. give you an example uh, these two women came over for dinner last night because I needed a dog sitter. Mm. I was like, instead of going out for coffee or instead of going out to a restaurant, come to my house, let me cook for you. And like, honestly, by the end of it, we're best friends. You know, it's just food is like that bridge to developing relationships or even maintaining relationships um, because everyone's sitting there on the same page, like to, to energetically be on the same, you know, same space, same level, same energy, that's an, a way to connect with other people. And then, you know, um, yeah, food is, like I said, joy, sharing, you know, sharing joy. Um, but also it's like something you can share, like knowledge. And then that's where also I get a lot out of it is it is my one of my um, topics that I like to discuss the most. And I like to share the knowledge that I have and the skills that I have with other people. Because it's just like for me, it's uh, there's no cap to what it f brings to my life. And every day it's like something else, um, why I love it and I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, just echoing all, all of those sentiment, sentiments, when we run our cooking club, at the beginning of every term, we try to do at least one session that's more informative than experiential. And we try to talk a lot about the different vectors of health that are um, touched 
by, mm-hmm. by nutrition and cooking. We focus on three. Um, we talk about students' financial health and how the, the difference is long-term between knowing how to select food and how to cook food for mm-hmm. yourself and not knowing those things can be quite literally in the six figures. Like it, it's, it's no exaggeration to say that you will be financially significantly healthier just by gaining this one skill set. Um, the second thing we talk about is, is, of course, physical health, and we try to give them the basics of macronutrients, micronutrients, nutrient ratios, exactly how to uh, make those nutrients available in the best ways, et cetera, mm-hmm. and just talk about like some of the things you mentioned, um, how adaptogens work, how anti-inflammatory foods work, what that means long-term, especially as you get into our age range where joint pain begins to be a oh, thing yes. and you know energy levels start to become a bit more noticeable in their fluctuations, et cetera. And then the third thing that we always emphasize, and we do this in, in a couple different ways, we emphasize uh, community health explicitly in our instruction, but then at the, every, at the end of every single session, we, we try as best we can to get the fast cooks to slow down a bit and wait for the eating until we can all be gathered around the same table, around the same food. And I express this to them in perhaps overly romantic terms, but I think of that act as being something like the fundamental human act. It's the thing that makes us human. I think in every culture across time, since the very beginning, when we became homo sapiens, we have, wherever we are in the world, gathered usually around hot food in a quiet place with the people we are closest with in our lives. And though we may not even be sharing words together, we're sharing something that is... I mean, you only have to do it once to realize how, how foundational it is to your, your personal wellness, to, to that pursuit of the good life. And the students experience that immediately, too. It's something that sneaks past you, I think, in our culture. We get used to... The fast food. Yeah, sitting in front of a TV, yeah. you know, or, yes. or you know, we're, we're moving so fast. And so much of our food culture has reacted to that by giving us solutions that are on-the-go food. We miss the community aspect. And if you just force yourself to sit down once or twice with the people you like and the food that you enjoy, it, it really does maximize your wellness. I think in some ways that are sort of ineffable. You can't even really describe what they do. Mm-hmm. You're obviously someone who appreciates that um, uh, to, to a, a, pr- a pretty full extent. Um, I want to talk about how education kind of entered this world. You were cooking mm-hmm. from age seven or eight. You, you felt that... Um, the, the, the wonderful feedback of doing something valuable for people you love, you felt yourself developing your craft, all those, yeah. those most you know, wonderful parts of life. But you, you got to make money in this world, right? And you, you were moving through, I, I think, kinesiology at mm-hmm. Wilfrid Laurier University. Mm-hmm. Shout out to WLU, my hometown. And then 2015, Bachelor of Education came along and you're, you're thinking about becoming a teacher. Can you just kind of walk us through what was going on in your life at that time? Yeah, well... The, in, to become like the teacher, why why I was already um, on the track to becoming a teacher, and why I already made that decision that I want to teach for my life, that came back, that that started a long time ago, like when I was younger, and just like also being like a, a very self aware person, just loving that to share knowledge, like whatever I was into, it was like all I wanted to do was share it with people, mm. you know. And I think maybe it's like, oh, I'm into cooking, I want to share it with people, I want to. I'm into pottery. I want to share it with people. It's like whatever I'm into, I just want to share it. Like it's just it brings me joy. I want to bring other people's joy. So it was, that's kind of something I identified early on. And then okay, you know, what are the sort of careers that I could do that that I get to exercise what I love the most? You know, I wasn't like trying to like recreate the wheel um, or look for voids in who I am and like be like I need to fill these and then 
pursue careers that I can do this. It was just more like what's naturally me and what careers can I shine as me. And so teaching was like, you know, check, like love people, I love working with people, I love just, you know, shared experiences, I love sharing my knowledge, okay, teaching is great. So once I figured that out, I did a co-op um, program in, in grade 11 in which I was placed in a grade three class. And that, that for me was, okay, aha, yes, I love, it was like a confirmation, like I do love teaching. Uh, and then from there, I was like, what's the path to teach? need an undergrad what do I like what am I good at science nutrition mm. you know movement because I love sports and I love being well fitness wellness so okay kin kind of makes sense went to kin you know it was like a big gym class mm -hmm. the whole time and loved it um and I was at that point at 14 I was already working too like you know cooking doing cooking jobs anytime I needed a job I would do a cooking job because I love to cook and so it was teacher's college once I got there that was like, I'm teaching, I'm only teaching, there's no cooking now, and I missed it desperately. Mm. And um, I had these cooking clubs running in the schools I was teaching at, and it was like I saw so much more growth and benefit from those cooking clubs in my students than I did my math classes, my you know science classes, my phys ed classes, like what those cooking clubs were doing for those kids couldn't, you know, essentially the other subject matters couldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. And I really care about using my life on this planet to make the biggest positive impact I can. And so if I'm going to spend my energy doing anything, well, I'm going to spend it teaching kids to cook, see, now seeing the impact it can have. Like, you know, for me, it was like, yeah, I could be another math, science, phys ed teacher and do a great job at it and be as innovative as I can in those areas. Or, I can see this complete void that exists because at that time there was no cooking programs for kids. Yeah, there was like one here, one there. Maybe a mom came into a school and running out, you know, ran mm -hmm. an after-school program, but it was like, let's make cupcakes or let's make pizza. You know, there wasn't really much, and so I saw it as an opportunity and to really make something of this, like, like create something that was just had so much integrity and value. And excellence is important to me. I want to be the best. It's not good enough unless it's the best. So let's be the best. So that kind of was the journey from like realizing, yes, teaching is where I want to go to actually no teaching cooking is where I want to be. It was kind of a, like a path that had a little bit of couple stray, mm -hmm. you know, paths, but then do. it kind of came back and yeah. made sense. It, I, I would almost hold that up as, as the model for what I hope happens in, in all of our students' lives. Like yeah. th there is an experimental period that I think is necessary from, let's say, 18 to 25 or 30. Um, but we hope that the, the experiments are all, are all aimed at getting a life of alignment where passion, need, purpose, et cetera, all are, are participatory in the same act. Right? We, we live in, I think, a society that tends to fragment us a bit. It, it, we, we specialize in, yeah. a, in a profession, yeah. uh, and then we, we sort of switch off that part of our life or that part of our brain when we make the increasingly long commute home, if you're living here in Toronto, <laughs> and, and then you're someone else, right? And, and maybe you also have a third space uh, with, with, with perhaps friendship or, or, or you know whatever your hobbies are. So often those three things or those four things don't necessarily come together in the same act, and you seem to have found a life that includes all of them, again, in a very organic way. Is that how I it think feels? I'm trying. Like, yeah. And just to speak to what you said for a second, because I, I just really want to, uh, you know, students who are listening to hear this, like, 
experimentation begins the day you figure like, oh, I'm going to start experimenting. If that's like back kind of like what I experienced back when I was really young, uh, my career exploration began that. Like then, you know, it, it began then when I was that young. And I, it's just figuring out what you like, as you said, what you need in a job, in a career. Like we all have to just accept that we need to have a job. Like I wish that wasn't so. We live in a capitalistic society, so you need to make money in order to live. That's a, that's a need. Mm-hmm. But there's more important needs. Like what do you actually need in a job, in a day-to-day, that when you are done working, you don't feel like you're going to feel tired, but it's a type of tired that you feel after it. It's a, the tired that I'm describing that you want to run away from is the, I feel like my soul is like tired. I feel like this job took from me and it's less, it's like not took more than it gave. Like, and the only give can't be money. Yeah. Like life is way too short and there is a not, nothing is guaranteed. No matter how old you are, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Like you have to, you don't have to, but I'll tell you from experience, you have to prioritize your well-being in all the decisions you make in life, um, physically, mentally. But when it comes to career, you have to prioritize what you need. And I've learned that I need a job that I can meet people, new people, develop new relationships. I need that because that fulfills my heart and soul. I need a job that I have creative freedom and I get to just kind of, my job is my playground. I am in a job now that I get to write recipes. I get to create amazing, cool programs that are just unbelievable. And I am so proud of my work that what I develop, it's like, no, nothing is like it. No, no one does what I do. That's really exciting and fulfilling to me. I also need a job that I can give back in, like give back my knowledge, my skills, share that with people. but help other people. I need that. If I don't have that, I don't feel fulfilled. And I need a job that I make good money at because I don't want to feel stressed out and hard done by. Um, And I have a life. I have a partner. I'm going to be building a family. I need that as well. So I can go on and on about what I need. But I think the point is that I want to share with your students is instead of worrying so much about what it is going to be, just take more time to reflect on what what I need. What do you need? If you're not someone who needs to go to a job, you can, you're fine from working from home. That opens up a bajillion possibilities. If you're someone who does need to get out of your house and go work somewhere, that kind of narrows it down for you. Like I'm talking like get really basic. Mm-hmm. What do you need? Do you need a job that you're by yourself? Do you need a team? You know? yeah. Do you need a job that gives you creative freedom or do you like to be more of a follower? There's no right or wrong answer. Just figure out what you need. And then what you want is like the icing on the cake. You know, and you okay. get to put some sprinkles on it and whatever. We're but we're gonna use a lot of cooking metaphors. Yeah, <laughs> like um, we should have put a like a what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like a where you put like a risk before watching something. Like a disclaimer. A disclaimer. Yeah. So yeah, sorry everyone. This podcast will make you feel hungry. It's just gonna happen. <laughs> You're gonna have to get into it. I gotta sit here smelling this delicious banana bread <laughs> the entire episode. So if anyone out there is feeling hungry, I mean, sympathize with me, please. Um, have you ever heard of the concept of ikigai? No. Okay, so you just did a really wonderful job of explaining the the Japanese uh, precept of ikigai, which is uh, a model for discovering purpose in life and and fulfillment. Right. And you you na- I think you nailed all four of the aspects. But if you can imagine sort of a a diamond shape where. Uh, each of the corners of the diamond is represented by one of the full great forces in your life. So what you need, especially mm-hmm. in, in terms of income, security, safety, et cetera, 
is, is one of those, uh, those vectors. Um, what you're good at, what you love, and what the world needs are the other four. And then there's uh, interesting overlap between those four, and then especially in the middle, which they would call the, yeah. the, the space of ikigai or purpose. Um, it, it strikes me that we, we should probably and can probably do a much better job in early education of encouraging the type of reflection and self-awareness that you're talking about. Because I don't think the average person really knows what they need, especially in mm -hmm. terms of responding to their personalities. Uh, you, you were mentioning a few different personality types. We know we've got the, the ocean model for um, behavior types. Um, everybody falls on some scale between um, very open and perhaps very closed, uh, very conscientious and not so conscientious, very extroverted versus very introverted, uh, very agreeable versus less agreeable, and uh, either very or not so very neurotic. <laughs> and I, again, the, these... these um, behavioral or personality types correlate with outcomes in, in later life. So they can be discovered and they can be discovered pretty accurately using any number of um, free available personality tests online. You know, um, I think 16personalities.com is, is, is one of them that's pretty good. But I was never encouraged to ask those questions of myself. I, I, I was more encouraged, I think, early in life to look at professions or at least what I could see of professions and kind of ask, could I see myself yeah. doing that? But my view of the professional sphere was so limited as, yeah. a, as an eight or a 10 year old that I didn't really have a good range of, of choices available. I certainly wouldn't have looked up at the job market and said, oh, there's Chef Shay or a Chef Shay type um, doing what she loves while educating, while making money, while leading a I team. Know. Right. Like an, I didn't I, I saw doctor, lawyer, mm -hmm. policeman, fireman, you know, soldier. I saw I saw the really basic stuff and I was never Same. really encouraged to look yeah. inward. And that's why, like, uh, like that's why I really want to get this across to everyone. Like, just stop. Hmm. We're like, I know it's hard because we're all so stressed to like get to the finish line. But you're like, there is no finish line. Like, there is no finish line. Like, sorry to burst. It's an open puzzles. secret here, Brainwave. Yeah, mind. it's not. There's not. It doesn't exist. And like, you can talk to me two years from now. And I could be doing completely something different. Like, just I think what, what is your map is, is yourself your your what is true to you and like so instead of worrying about what is going to be my job what degree do i need to get to get to that job like worry the real worry that you need to be worrying about is who are you like what do you need you know what's important to you and what's so funny is they're all you know everyone's looking for the answers out here in the world but the answers are inside mm -hmm. and just you'd have to sit with that like just be quiet and you just need to not try to find the answers, but just ask the questions and see what comes up and not judge yourself for anything that comes up and just accept yourself wholeheartedly for who you are. And then get smart and strategic about how you're going to turn that into something to make money because that's the key. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe you have, maybe you'll be lucky and you can be, you are actually, you can look, do all the work and you figure out, I just want to be a doctor. Yeah. Oh my God. That's just the best. Good for you. Way yeah. to go. But it wasn't so simple for me, and I don't think it will be simple for most people. And listen, you can search and find all you want and realize you want all these things and then realize, yeah, well, you know what? What I need more than anything else is security and stability and money, and I can get the fulfillment that I need from other things mm -hmm. in life. You don't have to get everything from a job. I do. I do. I do. That's just me, but that's not the golden standard. Um, I'd say the golden standard what most people do is they realize a job's a job, they make their money from their job, and then they go home and they get fulfillment from other areas mm -hmm. in their life. 
I just personally can't do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm happy to hold you up as, as a gold standard, even if you won't. Um, I, I think that what you've described is what I would call the good life. Um, Trying. And yeah. And, and it doesn't mean you have to have it today, but certainly something to aim for and start, you know, moving the pieces across the board to get there, right? Like it, it, maybe that is taking a job that's not giving you everything so that you can have the money to learn more skills, experience more things, right? Build, build that, that set that's going to allow you to maybe to take more control of your life later on. But um, in general, moving away from fragmentation and towards integration in all aspects of your life seems to be the way. I've, I've never met anyone who's moving towards integration who feels like they're moving backwards, you know? Um, speaking of which, you moved from the, the Bachelor of Education 2015. You were describing a couple of the early experiences in, in classrooms and saying, holy smokes, these, these cooking programs are, are not what they could be, and not by a long shot. Um, to, just to provide some, some meat to those bones, the uh, University of Waterloo, I know we're rivals. We're going to take their studies anyways. Uh, 2022 study of over 10,000 students in uh, primary school programs across six developed nations. Uh, Chile, Mexico, U.S., Canada, Australia, and U.K., found that among those nations, and we take that as a representative sample of, of probably much of the, uh, the rest of the world, um, Canadian children are the least participatory in school programs. Less than 5%, or around 5% of uh, Canadian primary school kids are taking part in a school um, food program. And only 27% of the most food insecure young people in Canada have access to or are participating in. A this is something that we in Canadian schools don't focus on very no. much. Yeah. And the, the Chef Shea revolution is coming, but it's not completely here yet, right? We're, we're still waiting. Um, when you look at the robustness and the, the seriousness of nutrition programs in, in public schools elsewhere, it does... It's, it's interesting to ask where, why our revolution didn't happen in, you know, in most countries it happened around the 40s, 50s, end of, the world, end of World War II, beginning of the, the social welfare programs. Um, we tend to put the onus on families. We, we, we tend to still rely on families of all demographics, of all different experience levels to, to be mm -hmm. uh, providing the nutritional standards for their, for their students. Canada's food guide didn't change. When I, when I first started teaching um, our physical education program here at Braemar, that was in 20, late 2017, early 2018. We were still using that, that rainbow. Mm -hmm. I know I, I, I had the ex exact same thought. I was like, still? The, the rainbow food guide. I'm not going to get into it, but anyone who grew up here in Canada probably knows what I'm talking about. Um, balderdash, like just absolute nonsense. And thank goodness, January 2019 rolls around and we get a new food guide, which I think is, is, is quite a bit, quite, quite a massive it's, it's improvement. It's definitely much better. But you're kind of... You're coming along at a time when I think there's an appetite, no pun intended, <laughs> for for this for this type of change. Um, but it's 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 a long time coming, and it's much needed. Um, for the students out there who are listening to this and saying, "Boy, Chef Shai's got some wisdom, some powerful things to say about how I might get into that integrated life of purpose." Can you talk about what the the process of starting Rooks to Cooks, becoming your own boss, founder and president of this this cooking? Uh, intervention program, or, or maybe you can kind of describe how you saw it at that time and how it's continued to evolve. Sure. So as mentioned, Teachers College, running these cooking clubs, like what the aha moment was for me, which turned everything upside down, was legitimately this one moment where I, we were making fajitas and I held up a pepper, like a bell pepper, and 
one of my students was like, you know, Miss Mandel, like, what, what is that? Mm. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? What are you talking? Like, haha, you know, like, like, what is that? I've never seen that before. This is a grade seven student, okay? And not in an area like that, like it's, it's an area, but it's, it, you know, it's a middle class area. So what was shocking to me is that a 12, 13, going on 13 year old did not, has never seen a pepper before. And then I said, it's a pepper. Oh, I know what a pepper is, but they only ever seen it cut up. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like one after the other realizing that there's this like ma- a food literacy gap that I didn't even realize how large that gap was that exists. And then still a 12, 13 year old has yet to pick up a knife and cut themselves a pepper for snack. Like then there's that self-sufficiency independence gap. And I just, I, I just said at that, like in that moment, I was just like oh, taken by that and like letting that sink in for me, realizing going home and reflecting like, why am like, I'm not gonna be a math teacher, a science mm-hmm. teacher, a phys ed teacher, like I could be and I could be good at it, but this is a need. It's going back to need versus want versus everything else. Like, this is a need that exists that's way bigger than me. And I feel like I can bring something to the table that's different and unique from other people. And no one else is doing it. So I'm going to do it. So at that, kind of at that point, I decided, yeah, I'll finish col- you know, teacher's college and I'll, I'll get my certificate. And, uh, and then I'll come back to Toronto and I'll go to culinary school because at that point I had been working in the industry as a chef and a cook for, I think it was nine years at the time. I started when I was 14 and I don't know how old I was at that, at that point. Math, you know, it's been a while since I taught math. Um, so then I came back. I said, I'll go to culinary school because I had never been taught. And a female in the industry, it's a different world than a man in the industry. You are overlooked. The, the male head chefs will rarely give you any time of day, let alone invest in your growth and education. Mm. So it was like, even though I was in the industry for nine years, no one taught me anything. I watched, I learned, or I went on YouTube, or I you know, read books, or I experimented. So I was very independent. And I often took pastry chef positions because people would leave me alone. You know, uh, the chef never really got involved with pastry. Okay. So I, it was also like a playground for me. I had a lot of fun. Um, so I wanted to go to culinary school. I wanted to make sure that I, I, you know, had all my bases covered and I wanted to get the experience and the perspective of what it would be like to be a student in a culinary environment. So went to culinary school. I did not learn a single thing other than how to develop these programs, like how to structure a culinary program for kids and for people, demos and then practicals and how lessons were conducted and so on. So I networked and I loved meeting a million people. That was a lot of fun. So that was the purpose of culinary school. And then after culinary school ended, I immediately put the wheels into motion to start Rooks to Cooks. But that was that was a dream and a vision that occurred in that classroom when that when that student said, what is that pepper? You mm. know, what is that vegetable? That was just a, I need to create an environment. I need to create a program. I need to do something that educates youth on how to cook because it's, and food literacy, because it's not happening it's not going to happen in the home. It's not going to happen in the school. And it's not going to happen. Clearly, it hasn't been happening enough outside of those environments to yeah. make any difference. So this is a void. This isn't something that I can fill. And then I did it. You know, opened the first location in 2017. It was a wild success, you know, filled the camp. Um, it was me and two other staff, 170 students in the Whoa. summer, 
like just rocked it out, did crazy stuff. I like bought like 30 chickens one day, like whole chickens. This is like the Tots of Pots program. They're like five to seven years old. I got everyone and I'm like, let's butcher some chickens. They're like, I'm like having a mental breakdown, you know, like, <laughs> come on, let's get past it. Let's yeah. appreciate that this is an animal. So like did all of that with them. And it was so awesome to see what that program did for them as individuals, like hearing all the emails and the, you know, the calls from parents, like my kid is literally a different person. What did you do? Well, I, I actually got them to cook real food. I gave them a knife. I gave them responsibility. I empowered them. I shared all my knowledge and skills. It's not that hard, yeah. you know, and then they took that and they ran with it. And that's why they're different because they realized they're, what they're capable of and they saw it and they made it happen. You know, cooking is like a constant proof that you're capable, yeah. that you can accomplish amazing things. Like you've turned nothing into something, right? It's, it's, it's the nature of the things that are most fundamental to our lives that they have more what I'll call flow availability than almost anything else. Because we both need and love and are entertained by and can share yeah. uh, these things, when we cook, we are get it. We are putting ourselves in, I think, what uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi would describe as the ultimate flow position or the position where you can enter a flow state. It requires, A, that you understand the challenge uh, that's set before you completely, which is what a recipe is. Or, or if you look at the, a finished product and you say, mm -hmm. we're making this today, that there's no better way to, to kind of understand the full extent of your challenge. You need to be fully immersed in something that demands the, the fullness of your skills but does not exceed them, which is, is kind of the, I think of as maybe one of the coolest aspects of your job, kind of aiming certain skill sets and certain types of cooking or dishes at a specific, say, age group or, or specific group of kids. Super cool that you had them butchering chickens and getting to yeah. see like all the way from from animal to process to to plate where their food is coming from and, and gain that appreciation. Um, and I think that sort of mindfulness of It's of respect their, and yeah. it's, it's like what what really something that's very important to me is like I view every life equal. Like I have even trouble killing bugs. Like I just like we're all equal here like we all have like I don't know like why is my life more important than your life and there's not like that doesn't exist that it like the fact that we go to the grocery store and like meat is packed up in all these packs and not on the on the uh the front of the package like the, the logo is like a cow and like a baby cow and they're like frolicking in like the grass and loving their life that cow did not even see grass you know yeah. so it's important for me in our program that we really don't sugarcoat what's going on here and that if you're going to choose to eat meat which is great i i i love meat i eat meat then you're you have many options of what you can choose you can choose to get the cheapest stuff but also be aware of what you're choosing you know like let's look, teach them exactly what's going on behind all of those options and then they can choose and if they choose the cheaper option no judgment but just I judge only when you don't know because you've chosen not to know because yeah. it's easier and it's not comfortable to make those choices when you know that th that cow has been, you know, pumped with hormones and was in a cage their whole life and th the whole process of how to produce that chicken breast that's in a plastic styrofoam container also has ramifications and issues with that. Listen, we're living in a really messed up world right now with the food industry. So you can blind yourself, just like any other problem, like any other issue in the world. You can keep yourself ignorant, and it, you know, it, it's it's way it's heavy. So it I don't judge that people don't want to do that. But if you're gonna come to Rooks to Cooks, I'm gonna give it to you straight. You know, like I'm gonna tell you what's going on because it's your responsibility as a consumer, in my opinion. 
to know what's going on behind your choices. Thank you so much for, for saying that. I mean, I can't ima- imagine a more important message for our students at this point. You, you've talked about purpose in life and, and finding integration, and you've talked about our, our responsibility um, to, to make conscious decisions around our food. I think the, the, a lot of young people until just a few years ago, myself included, are just are really unaware of how bad things are out there. <laughs> like it's, it, the, the food industry is, is an absolute mess. Yeah, um, I know. I, I would, I'm sure you know better than most. Oh, um, it's, it's hard, yeah. you know. I would encourage uh, any of the audience, if you get a chance, check out the uh, the podcast episode we did with Jason Fonger, who's a, uh, a vegan triathlete, and he came in and we, we ended up, we were supposed to talk a lot about sports and performance, and then we ended up spending the second half of the podcast talking mostly about like animal rights and, and the, you know, True. big, big agriculture and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like I did in that podcast, I would point anyone who's interested in following up on this to the University of California's Climate Lab. Um, I know it sound, doesn't sound like it's directly related to nutrition. In this case, it is. They do a wonderful series of videos on both the environmental implications of the food we eat, but just the, the they get into the details of what the industrial meat agriculture sector is, is doing both to our planet and to our stomachs and to the animals that are kind of in, in the midst of that dynamic. Um, it's not pleasant viewing. It's not fun to know these things, but with knowledge comes power. With that power comes responsibility, but I, I think uh, I don't think anyone would argue that having more control and more power over the the basic terms of our life is, is desirable, right? Um, and you're giving that you're giving that to young people um, at an earlier age than they are receiving it from our education system as it stands. Yeah. Can you just give us the details? Give us talk us through a day or a week in the Rooks to Cooks program for, for let, let's say high school students since that's how I met you and those are the, the the age group we've been working with. So the day in the life of a Rooks to Cooks student who's in high school in high school? Perhaps or, or maybe if you prefer a bit younger. So our programs are really catered t- towards like our typical programs and Rooks to Cooks like in a nutshell other than being GTA's leading culinary school for kids, because there's nothing better. If we're not the best, we're not enough, you know. You heard it right. GTA's, <laughs> say it again, GTA's leading, number one leading. Uh, we're every, GTA's only, no. We're, there's others out there, but GTA's leading. GTA's best, you know, putting out the best work there for sure. Our bread and butter is our summer cooking camps, because when our kids off in the summer, and when can we make the biggest impact? When we have them all in one place under our roof, you know, um, following our curriculum on a more consistent basis, right? Like that one week, it's like cooking crash course, you know, like it's it's pretty awesome. So our program is structured in week to week slots, new group of kids every week and new menus every week, various skill level, like the menus have different skill levels, beginner, intermediate and advanced, different number of recipes a day, depending on that, anywhere from three to five. At the end of each week, we have a full-scale restaurant that we put on with the kids. You know, imagine like Friday night at like the hottest restaurant, but all the employees are children. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of what we got going on. It's like literally like a, a, a tasting platter of everything that you could have and more about this world, this industry, and, and teaching them. So that's the structure of our camps, and our camps are our bread and butter. It's like summer culinary school, essentially. And then throughout the year... You know, we do other stuff. We we do in-school workshops, um, which are more targeted and kind of connected to uh, the stuff you learn in school, math, science, language, art, you name it. There's the co-curricular connections that exist in those workshops. And we have the in-home business where we're running, 
you know, birthday parties, private lessons, classes, um, stuff like that. And then our after school programs that exist in schools or in our own sites. And that's more of like a once a week for the duration of a term. So this is what we got going on now. And we'll probably continue to expand on in the years coming. Our, but our camps are biggest. We have 16 individual locations this year. Wow. So I have over 100 staff that are going to be working this summer. And what's been big on my radar is creating opportunities for high school, like high school kids, because they're aged out of camp. You know, yeah. who wants to go to camp when they're 15? Yeah, you know, some it your people. Camp? Pardon? Is it your camp? Oh, any camps. I'd, I'd like to come. 33. I'd still uh, no, <laughs> no, tr- I know, right? I yeah. want to go back to camp. That'd yeah. be awesome. But I just, I think at that age group, they're like less like gung ho about like summer camp and more interested in, you know, having life or experiences that are gonna uh, infuse something else for them, yeah, not just independence. Independence, yeah. Um, so instead of saying come to camp, I've created these CIT programs, chef in training, counselor in training. They're avenues for, it's essentially volunteer work, but they're avenues to gain these experiences. You can choose to work with under the counselors where you're going to be gaining more experience working with kids, learning how to, you know, work with kids. That's more like the, the goal or choose the chef and training stream of this, of this volunteer work, which is work with the KAs, you know, kitchen assistants, work with them, learning how to measure ingredients, prep, conduct inventory, you know, finishing food. So Mm. They have the option, like, do you want to go into that or that? And then from there, I've kind of built in a funnel into work. So from the CIT world, where they have to work two consecutive weeks minimum, I don't mess around with anything less. You can't really gain anything from less than two weeks. Right. Like, even then, it's short. So two, me- two weeks minimum commitment. And then from there, they become candidates for my junior kitchen assistant position, which is a paid role that I've, I've added this year. So... That's a part-time position, 12.30 to 5.30, and that's more for this perfect age group. They don't want to work a full-time job. It's a lot, you know, and they can make a month-to-month commitment. So you can commit to July, you can commit to August, you can commit to both. So keep it very flexible. And that funnels right into a full-time kitchen assistant position for the following year. And then that funnels. So for me, now that I've kind of got our program perfected and I get that and I got the staffing and that's good now it's like I want my new area of playground I guess my new playground is creating valuable work and um, experience opportunities for younger people who aren't ready to jump full throttle into the workforce but are in that exploration phase that I was you know full circle now like want to just experiment and see what they like, what they need in a job and a career. Because these two, these three jobs, volunteer, part-time or full-time, these roles that I have developed, they they give them so much um, opportunity for just experimenting and yeah. seeing how they like it, and and not like committing their whole life, like to to high school student, like a summer is a whole life for me probably as well, but not committing their entire summer to to playing around. Do you remember reading um, any John Dewey when you're in uh, doing your B. Ed. So I have an embarrassing thing to share. Okay. Hit me. I haven't read a book since <laughs> Charlotte's Web Whoa. in grade six. Okay. Like, I don't know. I don't read. I don't read. I, it's not the way that I learn. Yeah. I learn by talking, doing videos. We're in a good world for it, yeah. for, for that kind of learning right now. I'm not I a think. reader. All good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I won't ask you to jump from 
<laughs> Who is it? E.B. White? Charlotte's Web? Yes, I think. I want to ask you to jump from Charlotte's Web to John Dewey. It's not important. Um, basically, John Dewey is the, the developer early 1900s of the concept of experiential education. And he's been a, you know, a great inspiration to me and, and really a model for all of my thoughts in various a, a, um, areas of education, cooking amongst them. You nailed the tenets uh, or the requirements of a proper experiential education as, as um, laid out by, by Dewey and his acolytes. Um, especially the idea that it should not consume the entirety of your life and it should not be burdensome, right? That you need time to be in the battle and then you need time to step step away from the experience, reflect on it, mm-hmm. right? Maybe live other parts of your life that are enjoyable and not necessarily taken away from you by that yeah. um, and then go back to it. And we have all kinds of learning cycles and frameworks that are built on that idea, but you don't need them because you're already nailing it. I have, um, like I guess I don't need to read because no, I'm, no, I'm that's, that's clearly right. coming up with philosophies yeah. that exist out there already. This will be the only podcast where Maybe I, I allow write this a kind book. of talk. That's the next project. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, where was I going with that? You've thrown me off because now I'm, for the first time in my life, uh, agreeing with someone who, who hasn't read um, since, <laughs> since youth. But that's fine. Um, I wanted to talk about when, when a parent sends a, a young person to one of these camps, mm-hmm. um, We'd likely ask them, what do you expect for your young person? And they say, well, I hope they have fun. I hope they're safe. And maybe I hope they learn to cook. What would your answer be to that parent beyond those fairly obvious things? If I was running a basketball camp, I would expect the parent to want their kid to be safe and have fun and and learn to play basketball. What are they getting out of it beyond that at a a Rooks to Cooks camp? So like what I'd say to that is um, we're here, we're, you know, we're teaching your kid to cook. That is like a given. You know, you're sending them to a cooking camp, they're going to learn how to cook. They're going to learn better than you. They're going to come home and then start criticizing your knife skills, which happens all the time. Like, knife I get like, life emails skills, being like, what did you turn my child into? <laughs> like, I didn't realize how bad I was at cooking. And they also take home all that information, uh, the valuing the ethics behind food and, you know, all of that they take home. They're going to get that. That's mm-hmm. like, no duh, you're, it's going to happen. But what they get in the process is that independence that self-sufficiency, that confidence, that self-expression, they get um, they get that self-awareness, um, the understanding that there's so much more than just me, and maybe I want to do things that that intrinsic motivation, that intrinsic motivation to like use their time on this planet for something other than just themselves. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's what's really important, and that's what they get, as well as the cooking. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, like the, the baker's cook- dozen. They get a lot more than what they're paying for. I was going to say, yeah. Um, the cooking is almost secondary to, to some the, of those things. The cooking is literally the vessel. Yeah. It's like, this is how we're teaching them, but this is what they're learning. Is It goes far beyond the cooking. The cooking's like the duh, but then it's all this other stuff that comes with it which is why I just love cooking so much yeah. as, as the vessel for education. Like if I had to create a school, all we would do is cook and then we would teach science in our cooking lessons. We would teach math in our cooking lessons. We would teach everything that we're teaching already, the same curriculum. It would just be delivered through cooking or working with food or yeah. more hands-on um, experiential learning because that's what engages people, kids and adults all alike. Like, it's way more fun to learn when you're doing something than just looking at a screen and listening to someone and then having to memorize that information and regurgitate it on the test. 
that's that's like think about how much extra work that we're putting into care enough to absorb that rather than just make it more like authentic like you're already having a good time and this is adding so much more benefit to your life already you're learning these recipes you're learning the nutrition you're learning how to how to nourish yourself and other people but then you're learning all this other stuff too it's just like so much bang for your buck right um so that's what i would say to these parents and to speak to that like i like to cookie cutter everything because just like for me you know my creative freedom and my role is really important so with my chefs and you know the chefs who are teaching these programs i encourage them to develop their own chef's missions so everyone has a chef's mission you know rooks cooks has his own mission the company has its mission which is to teach children to become more self-sufficient independent confident whatever what i shared already but everyone has their own individual chef's mission like my chef's mission is to inspire my my students to use food and cooking as a way to practice self-love and express joy and love to others because going back full circle what we shared about why i just one of the reasons why i love this so much is because it is my way to express that to other people and if they could only take one thing away from me only one thing then i want them to have that and so that's what inspires me every day in my role when the kids are like really getting under my skin and and then i just remind myself of my chef's mission and i keep i get myself back on track other chefs in our environment their chef's missions are to teach them about food scarcity some chefs are saying you know what i want to use this as a way to encourage community Mm -hmm. like everyone cares about something different and that's great i encourage that like every educator has something different to bring to the table so yeah there's math teachers but every math teacher is an is a person and they have something that they can teach these kids that is not just math so i i get them to tap into that while teaching the cooking while teaching all the other soft skills that i think our program just naturally does teach and that's what makes our program so powerful and life-changing for these kids. It's very intentional, you know, just like me, self-reflective, yeah. self-aware. Um, and that's why it's so special. So, you know, I don't know if that, I don't even remember what the question was, but. You nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Okay, yeah, good. You covered yes. it and more. Um, Perfect. I, I feel bad speaking after that because that, that's exactly <laughs> the message that I wanted to deliver to these students. You just, like, Great. Just, I'm not going to end the podcast now, but we totally could. And that, that would be enough. Guys, if you take nothing else away, just listen to the last two minutes of, there of, uh, of Shay talking because you, you said it all. I love the, the metaphor and our first non-cooking uh, metaphor of the day of the vessel, um, that everybody can get into this boat and bring who they are mm-hmm. to, to this, this journey together. Um, I think, thankfully, that's where a lot of progressive education is heading, the, the, the whole project-based learning idea that we are going to teach uh, uh, business and math and uh, financial management and language skills through, say, um, let, let's let's uh, learn how to start a restaurant, right, together as a group. And we're going to find our strengths and we're going to find our leadership uh, types and, and, and all that through this project. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a more universal project than making good, sustainable, healthy food for the people who are around you. So, yeah. and it, I mean, we, I see that daily when we run our, uh, I should say weekly, uh, our cooking club Wednesday nights at, here at Braemar College. We've got a lot of students here who are on their English language learning journey, their, their ESLC, ESLD. And there are a lot of interactions on a day-to-day basis, just operating around here, downtown Toronto, out in the hallways, lunchtime, whatever, that can be a little difficult for them because there's language being spoken very fast, very informally, and that can be quite alienating. 
when they come to cooking club, that may be one of the best language learning experiences that they get in their week. They've got their, their recipe right in front of them that they can refer to again and again, and they're engaging in language learning unconsciously. Right. It's, it's completely in, in keeping with yeah. the mission of the moment, which is make good food. Right. They get in a lot of cases, these students get to work with people from their language group, some of whom may be, I should say, language background, some of whom may be uh, a bit further along in their journey. And I, I would put that experience up against any classroom instruction that you can show me um, in terms of its learning outcomes. And as you yeah. said, we could apply that to any range of subjects, business, math, English, what have you. Yeah. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. It, is, it makes complete sense because it's fun. It's real life. Like it's real life. It's happening in their face right now. It's productive. It's yeah. everything and more. Um, you know, teaching entrepreneurship too. Like why not develop a recipe, cost it out, create a fake bakery, project the sales over time. Like yeah, to me, these are projects that are just like fun, interesting, can actually be used. Like if a kid's, you know, they, they have this project and they, they love it and they do so well, they're like, great, I can make some money. And they start a bakery three years later. Like it's just... Let's just focus on yeah education in a different way than it has been in a way that's like more real life, yeah. practical. Like why can't it be that? Well, your your current aim, if I understand it correctly, is to kind of create these these pathways or these avenues from the learning that you're doing to a, a type of early professionalism. Yeah. And why that isn't the aim of everything that we, we do in these schools? Like, yeah. You know, every math teacher has to deal with the the regular question from the students, like, how am I going to use this? Why is this necessary for my life? And there's ongoing arguments about things like algebra and their place in in the core curriculum, like. I've never had to use it in my professional life, but you know what question I never get asked when I'm coaching a cooking club? What's this for, right? How is this going to affect my life? It's obvious, right? Exactly. Um, it, it requires no explanation. And so my, my final question to you is, is going to be built around those ideas. Let's you and I imagine that we get to start a school, okay? Rook, you, you, you run Rook's Cooks for another couple of years, and then you get a billion-dollar valuation, and, and we sell that. And I'll, I'll, I'll... I already sold the company. Oh, okay. Yeah, so hopefully it doesn't get a billion dollar evaluation and I lost all this money I could have made. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. But but I sold the company two years ago. So all right. I still Let me come right right back to that. Yeah. But stay in the imaginary space with me for a second. We're running a school together and we want to do things right when it comes to, to cooking. What place do you see for cooking, nutrition, maybe even food production and, and sourcing in a normative school setting? Okay. So rather than getting too romanticized about my visions of just like only co teaching everyone through cooking. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Brownies for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would say it's a step-by-step. -step. I think the first step is having the government or someone in power give us a bunch of money and have like rooks to cooks become, you know, pretty much the vendor for culinary education across the school board. I've had this conversation with the school board before. The money is there. I don't know why they're not pulling the trigger. I've suggested straight up options. Like, so one of my visions was if a school does not have the facilities, then food trucks, like legitimately a bus that we can turn into a food truck or we have port portables that that becomes their room yeah. if they don't have a space to provide to offer this. So that's like solution in that case. But regardless, don't treat it as another subject where I don't think it's realistic to think that 
in the next five to ten years, cooking is going to become like a math or a science or language. I I'm I'm a believer, but I just like I'm a I'm a hopeless romantic, I guess you could say. Like I'm hopeful, but I just I'm not set. I haven't seen enough prioritization to believe that that can be in five to ten years. Regardless, I think in five to ten years there will be a place for culinary education in the school system, and the step by step approach to that would be at the beginning it's treated as like a workshop sort of format to supplement curriculum. Let's say you're teaching a health health um, unit. Well, ring, ring, hello, rooks to cooks, whatever. We come in and we we teach part of that health unit. Mm-hmm. We already have a, a, a curriculum. We have a workshop format. We have it all. You just We just come to your school and we run it for you as part of your curriculum. It's our curriculum, but it's part of your um I should have had three espressos today instead of two. What's the, like unit? It's a unit, right? Yeah. So you're teaching a unit and we come and teach a part of that unit. And we teach that across a ton of schools. So that's like plan A, you know, mm-hmm. at least plan uh, first step to this whole grand, you know, plan. That's how it starts off. Workshops, supplementing units, you know, bringing the curriculum to you, running it for you. Eventually, when there's enough money and there's enough investment, because it's going to take time, not just like money, but it's going to take like building out facilities. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can cook in a classroom. And the reason why our our program is so um, like, I guess, mobile is because we use portable gas burners. Any classroom can be turned into a a kitchen. I just need a sink close by so I can do dishes later. But Predominantly, like I, any table can be turned into a workstation. You know, we bring coolers if need be, if there's no refrigeration. We've already figured out all of the, you know, challenges of being mobile. That's what has made Rooks Cook so successful thus far. We go into churches and run our camps. Wow. So we've already figured that out. So going into schools is a no-brainer. And running these workshops is a no-brainer. And running these, um, I guess, units as supplement to other units and other curriculum is a no-brainer. So that's how it begins. And then once everyone sees how amazing it is and realizes, yes, we should probably figure this out and make this a, a, a permanent thing, then the build-out occurs in schools. Do what you got to do to make a classroom, like a culinary classroom, with the proper ventilation and the sinks and the dishwashers and everything that you need. It's only like one or two classes. And then that becomes a culinary department, just like the math department or the science department that is what's next. Why not a culinary department? And why not work with other teachers and other departments? Like talk, going back to the, the cross-curricular um, potential of what cooking can be for a school. That's what I see. Yeah. You know, it's cooking is not its own subject matter, but we can work with other subjects to teach cooking and teach math at the same time. Yeah. Two birds with one stone. And, and that's what I see. I think probably provide uh, a, a much better alternative for school lunches or, or a school food program. Like you can, you're not just learning; you can literally feed that, the school. That's that's the next step. Okay. Yeah. You know, once we're in, then the curric- you know, the culinary department gets built out even more, and then it becomes a self-sustaining program where we have the garden program and we have the green, you know, the the greenhouses, and all of that is occurring, um, like the rooftop greenhouses and the fact that if it's an elementary middle and high school the, the younger kids are a part of those programs that feed you know, the food feeds the other programs and then and then it becomes job opportunities for the high school students it's just like 
this. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited. Wheel. Next week we're going to have uh, Maria Solikovsky, who is a uh, a local um, homestead farmer. She she has cool. a sustainable homestead in East Toronto, and uh, we have stu- our students volunteering uh, in her garden three seasons out of four. And we bring some of that food back, and we use it for cooking club. It's it's a very small version of what you're describing, but you the the students, I think, get that little inkling of what's possible when these reciprocal um, relationships are built and begin to circulate. And and like, kale has never tasted so good. Do you know what I mean? When oh, yeah. when you buy it from a grocery store, you're not uh, you're not often going to remark on the quality of the kale, but when you pulled it out of the ground yourself and washed it and, and chopped it and cooked it and then you serve it to a friend and they say, "Boy, this is good." What better feeling is there? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's been wonderful to watch and it's really given me some some real insights into where education needs to go in every phase and it's directly towards that type of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Um, are you at all up on the super cool? public school food programs in Japan. No. Have you seen this? No. They've, they've become quite popular as a model. I think they're being adopted in a couple of the Scandinavian countries, even in the past few years. They call it uh, Kyushoku. And it is a part of every single um, public school in Japan and has been since 1953 or 55. Wow. Um, there's a really cool video on YouTube that people can use to, to capture all of this information because I didn't do a deep dive. I just um, gathered it from, from one or two sources. But the video that I was watching, I think it was from a fellow whose channel is called Life Where I Live. He spent, he made this really nice little 15-minute documentary where he spent two days in a, in a public school kitchen in, in Japan. It is unbelievable. It, it is an industrial restaurant-quality kitchen. The, the, one of the facts that stood out to me, there are 12 teachers on staff in this primary school where he was. There are 13 um, kitchen staff. Wow. And there's a full-time nutritionist in this program. And they show how from, from grade one, grade in the school from grade one to, to six, steadily and increasingly the students are involved in the uh, creation and the serving of the lunches to, to everyone in the school. It feeds the entire school. Um, those families that are able to pay for it, um, or contribute to a, to a pool um, that pays for each school. Those who aren't are um, subsidized by, by uh, social welfare. Um, the vast majority of the ingredients and, and the food that is eaten uh, was grown locally. The students and the school have relationships with the local growers who deliver on a daily basis. Um, they talk about how their three primary um, goals with this cooking program are A, guaranteeing the health of the students, uh, B, passing on Japanese culture and the, the culture of food creation, which I think we, we've really missed out on quite a bit um, in this part of the world. And C, as you mentioned, which kind of made me think of this, um, a real appreciation for the amount of work and the people who go into the creation of the food that you eat. Right? Unless you, in, in a lot of our schools, yeah. unless you talk to the, the kitchen staff in those 10 seconds when you're passing by with your tray, you don't really get a sense of the people and the work that's going into that food, but, but these kids are at the, the front and center of it. Um, and I'm watching this video and I'm thinking to myself, okay, okay, well, th- this has got to be some sort of exception. This has got to be one of the, the rich schools in the Tokyo area. The gentleman near the end of the video uh, put that question to bed. He showed uh, the chart of the um, average income demographics across the, the however many prefectures uh, of Tokyo. The one th- that the school he was at was in was the poorest area. It was, the, it was the single lowest income area on that list. Wow. And this, this school was like you know, night and day compared to how we treat food and how we treat cooking 
in our schools. I see that as, as you just described, being completely possible, right? We can build science labs, we can build, you know, multi-million dollar gymnasium facilities, but we can't build a, a restaurant quality kitchen for these kids, which is more necessary. We don't even need a restaurant quality kitchen. No, I, but, but yeah, we could, we don't have to. We, yeah. Yeah. Like the simple, like we don't have to go to the, like the end of the spectrum in terms of quality. We just, we can do it. We can do it in steps, baby steps. We can do it pretty relaxed like yeah. get some gas burners you know you know how they have the laptops that travel to class to class why can't it be this like walking you know culinary classroom too yeah it's well, not that much equipment when we started with uh, with rooks to cooks in 2018 um we didn't have we yeah. didn't have any facilities for it and i had no idea how this was going to work and you were incredibly helpful you helped to source all of the equipment that we needed we're now in the great hall just behind me we've got one fridge, we've got a sink nearby, and it's exactly as you described. It's all the equipment we need using gas ranges. We don't use um, a full stovetop. We don't use an oven. So the, the act of finding recipes that are going to work with our equipment is both fun and challenging in, in a creative way. Uh, but we have yet to, I, I don't think we've even remade a single dish once. Like there's so much available now that exactly. we, we can just keep things fresh and new every single week. We haven't felt any real limitations. And it was it was low expense and low effort to get all of that equipment that we needed. Much thanks to you for 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 that. Um, I certainly wouldn't have been nearly as capable. Um, but the, the 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 barriers to entry for this type of dream are quite low. Very. Right. Very. So I, I guess I, I don't know how to how to wrap this up beyond simply yelling to every educator out there that like start thinking about this and and pushing it where you can. Yeah. Well, what, what, what final message beyond the, the beautiful and, and wise things that you've said already would you like to add just to finish this off? Through everything that I've been through with Rooks to Cooks, growing it, like putting everything that I have into it, almost losing it through COVID, rebuilding it with virtual, and then now selling it. Like that decision was for me because it was taking a toll on my body, on my heart and everything. Like, so my, like, even though I, I thought I was doing what made me so happy it's like you know not realizing that at the end of the day you have to prioritize yourself you have to take care of yourself and so yeah food is one way you can do that learn about nutrition you know take cooking courses get the just get the basics down so you can nourish yourself because yeah you know that burrito that costs five bucks tastes so good and then you know it's cheap but if you continue to to make these choices it's going to catch up to you. It's going to, it's going to take a lot more than it gave you in that moment. So like, just you're young, everyone, you know, you're young. This is the, this is the time to take care of yourself, your body, your mind, your soul, you know, get self-care routines built into your routine every day, have something for you. Like whether it's both on the physical level, the mental, the spiritual, all the, the different areas of health, Make a little little choice, like a little routine in each of those categories and build it into your day-to-day. And you will keep yourself nice and stable. You'll be equipped and energized to handle life's challenges. Because if you think that it's hard right now, like I'm sure every adult in the world has told you that it's just going to get harder. And the truth is it really is. Yeah. Like, and like, I don't want to be just like another like broken record in your life, but it is. Like, it's like playing a video game. Every level is more challenging. Every year of your life and every next phase of your life is more challenging, but you're better equipped to handle it because you've gone through the earlier challenges. You've figured out how to take care of yourself. You've, you've done all that work. So 
take care of yourself, learn how to cook, you know, be true to yourself, figure out who you are, what you want, what you need in your life. Try not try to block out the noise of the world and all the pressures that exist. Be a good person, you know, and feed yourself well. I think that's what I want them to take away from it. You only got one body, folks. Feed you it well. You only got one body. Um, we could go for for days and days talking about this. Um, but when, when you're mentioning uh, the the consequences of not learning some of this stuff, don't get to thirty without knowing how to how to budget your money, without learning how to select good food and learning how to cook it for yourself. Because yeah, li- life does come to get you, and you better have the basic skills nailed when it does, because uh, it doesn't slow down. It do- it doesn't wait for you, and. My my final cooking metaphor of the day, there's no such thing as a free lunch in this world, right? Like if you're buying, paying five bucks and you're getting uh, easy food delivered to you in a styrofoam container every day, the, the costs aren't as obvious, but they're coming. They're, they're on the back end. We talk about obesity rates and we talk about even things like congestion in the streets with our, with our delivery system the way it is now. We talk about industrial agriculture and who's providing the meat and the veg for, for some of these fast food companies. Those costs are very, very real. And, and we're going to be seeing them more pr- pronounced in the future. Don't be a part of the, the problem. Be a part of the solution. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Surround yourself around, like, surround yourself with people who inspire you to be better. Or if you are that person who is the best of the others, then shine in that role and inspire others. Like, you know, you have, you have two choices. So yeah. I, I really hope that you make the right choice, everyone. And for yourself, but also to be, like, a contributing member to society and, like, do good for this world. Amen. If you're an educator out there and you're hoping to make another good choice, I was telling you, find yourself a, a chef Shea out there because it changes the culture of your school and it changes the way you think about your own health and the relationship you have with your students. Uh, Shay, I can't thank you enough. You, you've started something here at Braymore that we're really proud of and that the students end up remembering and benefiting from, from for years to come. And, and it really is thanks primarily to you and the work you've done with Rooks to Cooks. Um, if uh, folks want to find out more about, about you and what you're doing right now, where can they look? our website. If anyone listening is interested in those CIT programs or even coming out and joining me part-time work this summer, then email me at chefshay at rookstocooks.ca. I want to see a resume and I want to see a cover letter as to why this would be like a a valuable experience for you and kind of practicing what we already shared in this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Beautiful. I might be, I might have a few international students that send in your way this summer. Great, please. Folks, this has been Mike Helsby with uh, Chef Shay Mandel here at uh, Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. Looking forward to, to more great conversations like this to come. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Join me again next week for another podcast where I'll be speaking to Maria Solikovsky. Maria is the founder of Wild by Nature Garden Homestead.